pray. Lord, we, we thank you for this morning and these songs of your love that never fails. Of you being this uh, cornerstone through the storms. We just uh, want to say, God, as we stay in this place, would you continue to lead our hearts, continue to speak to us, anoint the word, the, the word spoken, and what we hear. We pray these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So we're in Romans chapter 8. I invite you to turn there. Romans chapter 8. It's a heavy subject. Um, Paul has started in verse 18, halfway into Romans 8. That chapter, he's shifted from talking about the struggle and the victory that can come because the Holy Spirit now lives in us. Victory in obedience, victory over sin, victory over struggles. And, and then he shifts to what does it look like for the average person to walk through suffering? So when suffering comes in a Christian's life, what do we do? And he spends the remaining remaining. Uh, verses in chapter 8 talking about suffering and specifically talking about the hope that we can have in suffering. And, and in this room right now, there, there's obviously suffering going on. There's all kinds of forms of sickness, diabetes, back surgeries, heart surgeries, hip surgeries, cancers, Parkinson's, addictions, autoimmune diseases, families who've lost loved ones, whether it's moms or dads or sons or daughters, and in awful ways, we have orphans young, we have orphans who are old. We have people who aren't even here, but fresh water is their home, but they can't attend. They're, they're shut-ins, that's what we call them, and some of them haven't even slept in their own bed for decades. We, we know suffering. And so Paul has just finished talking about, look, uh, there is a curse that has happened in this world that brings suffering. The creation groans, and we groan. We, we weren't created for this, is what Paul says. It's difficult. We weren't created to have these kind of experiences and to, to encounter the depths of hate and conflict and, and suffering that's out there. And, and if you think about it, I mean, there's a manual out there in a psychologist's office. They all have it, and it helps diagnose what's going on with this person, and it's this thick manual. And there's things that they describe or they, they say, hey, if you're seeing this, this is what's going on perhaps or this is what's going on. And they, they would talk about like this. We, it's normal now. We, we have a phrase for it, post-traumatic stress disorder, right? PTSD. But it, it demonstrates, and what, that, what PTSD is, is you can have an event that all of a sudden pulls you back. You a smell, uh, uh, something you see, something you hear pulls this trigger that takes you back 20, 30, 40 years, 50 years, 60 years to a traumatic moment in your life where there was profound pain or violence or suffering of some kind. And you're there. And that, it shows what happens inside our souls. Like there's, there's stuff that happens here that words don't express. You run out of words no matter what language you're in. And you're only left, or I'm only left with groans. 
Paul goes on, he says this, he says, there's hope, there's hope because you think that suffering is bad, it's nothing compared with the glory that will be revealed in Christ, the, the glory that's coming in heaven. That, that's so much greater than, it's, it's, it's not even, it's not even a, a possible to quantify it, which is hard for us to imagine because suffering seems so real. How could something be that much beyond it where it's not even comparable? And we talked about that last week. And he goes on now, <clears throat> as we pick up in verse 26, he says, look, we're groaning, but we're hoping for this glory to come. And he says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what to ask for, or to pray for to God, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness or the image of his son. Where does it talk about this, these few verses here? Because Paul's saying, hey, look, there's hope, there's a glory that's coming, but he's not done talking about what hope Christians have. And, and the other piece of hope that he starts to talk about is, is as he brings in the Holy Spirit, he's saying, hey, remember, I just talked about the Holy Spirit. He's there in you. He's with you. He's with me giving us not only the power to live, but now we see he's doing something else. He's the one in our weakness, in those moments where we we don't have words, we, we only groan, and what is he doing? The Bible says he's interceding for us with groans that words cannot express. There's two times in the Bible where it references that God intercedes for his people. The other time is Christ. Christ is interceding at the right hand of the Father for us. What is he interceding for? Well, it's for our salvation and then saying, this is, the, this is my child now. This is, this is part of, this dude, this gal is part of the kingdom. Extend them forgiveness. Extend them grace. Bring them in. He's saying, he's mine. They believe in me. They love me. That's Christ's role. Now we find out, not only is one part, one person of the Trinity interceding for us. Now we find two are interceding for us. The Holy Spirit's interceding. With groans that words cannot express. Which means that right now, the Holy Spirit knows you. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're feeling. He knows the things that you don't have words for. It's, it's a tremendous phrase, the Holy Spirit groaning. God groaning on our behalf. And here's where the hope is. Right now, the Trinity is talking about you. They're talking about you. They're talking about your soul. They're talking about the deepest needs of your soul, the, 
the deep cry of your soul, those hidden things, those longing things. And there's a groaning even in the conversation if it's a season of groaning that you're in. And it's a powerful image that he says. God groaning for you to the Father. The Spirit groaning to the Father for healing, for comfort, And that's one of his titles. He's given to us as the comforter. Groaning for healing. Groaning for comfort. And if if you're newer to our church, um, often we have people come up to us and, and talk about the service afterwards and just say, what in the world was that? And, and what we see is often people who don't normally cry come into our services and just lose it. And, and it's not because uh, of manipulation, because I, I know Jake hates manipulation. I hate being manipulated. We're just not big fans of it. And what we know is happening is it's really, actually, you're encountering the presence of God. You're encountering the Holy Spirit, and, and he has brought you into his presence, like his manifest, expressed presence, and it's a place where he's inviting you now, letting you know you're safe, and then saying, it's, it's time to grieve. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to weep. This is a place where you can heal. And we hear people talk about that all the time. God coming in and and just, in a sense, that comfort overwhelming people. The Spirit is often described as when His presence is there, there's freedom. And that freedom comes in the form of letting down guards, letting down resistance. And I can finally just not hold myself together, free from controlling it all, and just letting God control and heal. He's safe that way. And what Paul is saying is when Christians go through suffering, it's very important we know that we have a hope, a promise that you and I are not alone. You're not alone. The Holy Spirit is there. And if you don't experience Christ, but you sense that peace, that comfort, even now, that's God. That's his love for you. He just loves loving people. Start talking to him. I mean, you're, you're experiencing or encountering the tip of the iceberg. Like, you can see the tip, but it's just so much more. And he's just, he's just good that way. Like, he just loves everyone. You don't have to do anything to earn it. He just loves you. So Paul says we have a hope. The Spirit is in us, and he's interceding for us in the middle of suffering, those groans. He knows, and he's groaning. But he goes on to say, and God works all things for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. And this is a famous Famous verse. So many people quote this verse. It's, it's a powerful promise. It really is. And it's another conversation that God is having about us, about what is good and, and what, what's the purpose going on here and how will it bring good. But there's misunderstanding around this. So let me clarify a couple things. First of all, the promise, what Paul says, is it's, it's not for everyone. 
this working out all things for the good is for those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Meaning, as a Christian, you can hold on to this promise. God will do this. It's not for all people. It's, it's, there is something to this that is very specific that God inspired Paul to write. Not only that, God did not promise to change evil into good. Does that make sense? Because often it's misquoted this way. God, evil is evil. Suffering's bad. Sickness is bad. It's part of the curse. And so sometimes people say, oh yeah, he's going to turn evil into good. It's like, well, no, he's not. Evil's evil. What he's going to do is something different. Although it's evil, he has an ability to work things out towards good. Do you understand the difference? Because I think sometimes we look at things and go, how in the world do you call a genocide good? How in the world do you call violence good? You, you, you never can turn that corner. It, it's just evil. But what God can do in it and with it is something that's good. And that's the other clarity here. God promises that in our suffering, he will use whatever we go through for our good according to his purposes. So while we may go through evil and we may go through horrible and terrible, painful things, God is working to use it. There's two things about this promise. The first one we like, the second one we skip because we don't like it too much. God will work all things for the good, right? For our good according to his purposes. We don't like the second part. We like the first part, but the second part not so much because God's purposes sometimes don't coincide with our purposes. His plan and what he wants to do in our life and through our life often doesn't coincide with what we think he should do with our life and in our life and through our life. But, but there it is. God works all things for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. He, I don't know if you know this, but if you follow Christ, it, it's kind of a big deal to him, that beginning, when, when we start to follow him and we say, Lord, it's kind of a big deal, kind of a sticking point to the God of the universe. When we say that, we're saying, your purpose is not mine. Your way, not mine. Your plans, not mine. And he goes on and he defines good. And that's the other piece of this that I think we, we kind of skip. And we know God works in all things, you know, works together in all things for the good of those who love him. We call them, we love, okay, good. Oh, that's great. Bring some good stuff. And we have an image of what good is, right? Yeah, fill in the blank. This is going to be really good if you, God, that would be good if you, and God, that would be good if you. And he comes along and he says this. For those who love him have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. 
And well, it's back to the brother thing. It's back to the inheritance. He's the firstborn. This isn't about male and female. It's about the rights of the kingdom. Jesus gets the full rights of the kingdom as the firstborn son of the father, raised to life at the right hand of the father, and then he gives the birthright son kind of thing to everyone who follows him. But, but the definition of good, I believe, is right here, and it's this being conformed to the likeness of Christ. Did you ever think that that's actually the best good that could ever happen? That's the goodest good that could ever happen to you? Being conformed to the image of Christ, becoming like Jesus, is the best good. The greatest good. Which is kind of scary because if becoming like Jesus is the best good, the good is good, then it reframes all of our suffering. Because Jesus, following the purpose of God the Father, came for what purpose? To die. To suffer and die for us. And now he is exalted, the greatest good. He's exalted at the right hand of the Father. His name is above every name that can be given, every title that can be given in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every knee shall bow before you. I mean, you just follow this, and this is what it's like to be conformed to the image of Christ. So now, when you and I look at our suffering, it is no longer, hey, we got to avoid this. It's no longer, ah, we got to get out of this. And, And trust me, God loves to heal. He's a big fan of healing. He invented it. But it reframes all our suffering. Because if Christ went through suffering and said, your purpose, not mine, use this for your good, your kingdom, your glory, then God is just dangerous enough to do that in us. And good enough to do that for us. And I think some of us would think, uh... You know, becoming like Jesus, you know, in the image of Christ, like what is that supposed to mean? And, and I imagine some of you are thinking right now like, ah, so I, I know I should think that's great, but I don't. <laughs> Not really. Like I don't even understand what that means to be like Christ or in the image of Christ. And so for me, I know what good looks like and I just, that's just you know, just kind of slips through my finger. It's elusive. So what should you do? I don't know, fake it. Right? That's what we do. Just fake it. Fake like you don't think that. Just don't let anybody know you think that. You know, what Christian is going to say that out loud? So... That doesn't sound that great. Or some of you might be thinking, you mean he could leave me in this place of suffering? I could be going through this for years? Like, really? Yeah, don't share that one out loud either. Fake it. Am I serious? Of course not. 
But we create a culture where you can't share those things sometimes. I'm not saying we do, but it can happen. We can create a culture where you can't share the things that you're really thinking and wrestling with. And God would have you share those things. You're not the first one to think it. You certainly won't be the last. You're not the only one, even in this room. It's okay. It's okay not to understand that totally. It's okay to look at that and go, I don't know about that. It's okay not to understand. Because some of you are walking through some of the most painful things and you're carrying painful memories and they're suffering. And it's, you have found it to be a dangerous thing to even process out loud because you've, you've paid for it when you've shared what's going on in here. And it's okay. God's good that way. Hear me on this. It doesn't change his promise. It doesn't change his promise that he's here. It doesn't change his promise that he is interceding for you. It doesn't change his promise that he is going to work this out for your good. It doesn't change his promise that this is shaping and changing you into him, into being like him. The more we understand that, the greater his presence, the greater his comfort. The more we understand that, the more we see him moving. And the more we start to understand, oh, that's what you're doing, and this is why. And, and we may never get all the whys. But we start to grow and realize, this is real. And so this is what I want to encourage you. If you're struggling or if you don't understand, don't quit and don't stop. Don't press pause. Keep moving into this. I want you to hear a story this morning. I invite Lana McCauley to come up. I've asked her to share about her journey with cancer. And as she shares, I just want to invite you to, to give God permission to comfort you. Give God permission to talk to you even right now, and to begin to speak the things and the plans he has for you and to show you what he's working in your life. But, uh, Lana, take it away. Um, so much that I could share. Um, back around Mother's Day, I was diagnosed with breast cancer, and it was a complete shock. Um, I was feeling really good, didn't think anything was wrong with me, went in for a yearly checkup, and that's where we landed. Um, Early in the journey, I will say, you know, when Scott asked me to share in regards to this message, on the front end of this, I will just say that um, he does make good out of it all. And there's so much I've learned through this journey, and I wouldn't have never picked this journey, but my relationship with him is so much sweeter and so much closer through this journey. Um... When I was originally diagnosed, there were actually two words in first service I forgot to share this. There were two words, one he gave to me personally and one he spoke through somebody else, and those words were purification and surrender. 
And initially, I pray for healing. I believe in healing. I've seen God do miracles. I know he can do that. But after I received those words, and he called me to a time of just waiting before him so that he could build me up and give me some of his promises to stand on through this journey, I knew that it was going to be a journey. He wasn't going to heal me. He wasn't going to give me a miracle anyhow. He wanted me to learn some things. And so through this journey, um, a lot of what he's taught me has gone back to that word surrender and purification. He brought me to a deeper place of repentance. He asked me to do some things out of just sheer obedience um, that to me made no sense, but he asked me if I trusted him. Like, I would trust my earthly father to do good. Do you trust me that way? Um, He brought me to a place of surrendering my time and my attitudes. So, and one of the big things, too, out of it was to choose joy. In all of that, he was teaching me that I am in this. I see you. I'm with you. And on those hard days, what are you going to do? On the hard days, I laid on the couch. And sometimes the only thing I could say was the name of Jesus. And some of you are going through harder than what I've gone through. And God was gracious and merciful because so many prayers, I believe, were answered. You guys were praying. He protected me from some really hard stuff through the chemo. He answered a lot of prayers. He spoke into the situation over and over again. And all through it, he kept reminding me to choose joy and to share that. And so I did. I shared that with my doctors and my nurses and, and so on. Um, so after four months of chemo, the test showed that the chemo and the prayers worked and they couldn't even find the cancer. But I still needed to have surgery to clean out the areas where the cancer was. So that was five weeks ago. And um, what they do is they place these little radioactive seeds in the area where the cancer was by ultrasound. Then when you go into surgery, they use that as their guide to clean up those areas. Um, So I went to ultrasound, and they placed a seed near my sternum, and there was one lymph node that was in question, and so they placed that lymph node, the seed on the lymph node under my arm. And then I went over to surgery, and so the plan was to clean up both areas, remove the one lymph node. Um, After surgery, I came out, and the doctor, I was quite groggy, and I just remember her saying, I'm really sorry, Um, We were hoping this would be outpatient, but I had to take six lymph nodes because that seed fell down into a cluster. And because of that, you have to have a drain, so you have to spend the night. And at first, I didn't care because I was drugged and okay, whatever. (laughs) But halfway through the night, whenever my roommate was whining and complaining with the nurses and had her TV on all night and I couldn't sleep, I, was, I just cried out to the Lord, and I was like, really, Lord? You know, one simple prayer was, guide the people in the ultrasound to place the seeds, stay where they belong, I wouldn't be here, one node would have come out instead of six, and 
just kind of had my wine on. <laughs> and the next morning, my nurse comes in. She brings a young girl with her, um, and she introduces her. Her name was Shauna, and she said, this is Shauna. She's a student nurse, and we were reading your chart, and um, would you mind just, since she's with me today, sharing a little bit of your journey where it started, just so she kind of knows the process as someone who's gone through what you've gone through. And so I did, just so really quick. I was diagnosed in May. I've done this and this, and here's where we're at. And at the end of that, I just said, but God's been so good in it. He's guided. He's given me peace. And um, I really can't complain about the journey. And that's one thing I will just add, that as I surrendered, I did have excitement in the middle of this journey, which made no sense. It was him. Um, and so the nurse left, and Shauna left with her, and about a half hour later, the student nurse comes back in the room, and she says, I have a favor to ask you. She said, I'm supposed to write a paper for school, and it's supposed to be on someone who's been on a journey similar to yours, but not about the medical side of it. I'm supposed to write about the emotional and the, uh, men not about the physical, about the emotional and the mental side of it. And she goes, I think you might have a story to tell. I said, yeah. So we sat and talked for about 45 minutes, and I just got to share how God had worked in the journey and how he was teaching me to trust him and walk day by day and what a great support system of people praying I had and how prayers were answered and, and just really share more in depth. And when I was done, she looked at me and she said, you'll never know how much this encouraged me. I needed this. And she was in and out of my room several times for the next few hours, and I learned some of her story. And at one point, I was packing, and I was just praying for her, and the Holy Spirit said, that's one reason why you had to stay. And I was like, okay, I won't complain. Um, so that was Wednesday, Thursday, and on Monday, my, path, my doctor called me, and she said, I wanted to share your complete pathology report. And initially, they had told me that those six nodes they tested in surgery, and they sh were negative for cancer. Um, but she said, your pathology showed there's no cancer anywhere, that everything was clear. But she said, one thing that really was kind of surprising, she said, two nodes, two lymph nodes that we didn't know about, she said it showed they reacted to the chemo. She said, which means there were probably precancerous cells in them that we didn't know about. And right then, the Holy Spirit said, I moved the seed. I put the seed in the cluster so all six nodes would come out. You know, so all things work together. My prayer, my plan, his plan, it was way better. And so I had to have a drain for three weeks, and every time I would go to change that drain or empty it, I was like, thank you, Lord, for your plans. You know, so I want to just encourage you. Some of you are walking through a lot harder stuff. Surrender to him. You don't surrender to the circumstances. Surrender to him because he will work through them, and he will grow you, and he will bring excitement, and he will bring joy even in the middle of it.
so in the first service, I threw out my conclusion. Um, I think that's a, a word from God, what Lana just shared. I don't know what surrender looks like for you right now to just surrender to him, yield to him, thaw out. I don't know what words you would use. But let him move. Let him comfort. Let him show you his purposes. You don't have to understand it all. You don't have to understand the whys. But it's as we do that, that this promise, this presence, these words, this plan, this comes. I'm going to play a song for you. It's um, written by a musician, um, Rich Mullins, probably my favorite artist. Rich, uh, I read a story, wrote, uh, somebody wrote a biography about him, and uh, he didn't have an easy life, had a really hard life, a lot of pain, a lot of pain. And um, one of the sorrows, the great sorrows of his life is he wanted to be married, but he never got married. He wanted to have kids, but he never had kids. He ended up dying pretty young, uh, just kind of a freak auto accident. Um, but there was one moment in his life, he was with his band, and uh, he just challenged him. He said, and he went off and did this, actually. He's like, I, he says, I want to write a song. I want to, what would I write or what would I tell my kids? If I had kids, what would I tell them is the most important thing in life? And this is in the context of all that he's been through and all the suffering and all the struggle. And after he posed that question to his band, he just went off by himself and got some time alone. And this is the song he wrote. There's bound to come some trouble to your life that ain't nothing to be afraid of there's bound to come some trouble to your life that ain't no reason to fear i know there's bound to come some trouble to your life reach out to jesus been there before and he knows what it's like and you'll find he is there there's bound to come some tears up in your eyes that ain't nothing to be ashamed of there's bound to come some tears up in your eyes that ain't no reason to fear No, there's bound to come some tears up in your eyes Reach out to Jesus Hold on to 
been there before and he knows what it's like and you'll find he is there now people say maybe things will get better and people say maybe it won't be long and people say maybe and it all be gone But I only know that maybe is just ain't enough When you need something to hold on There's only one thing that's clear Bound to come some trouble to you. That ain't nothing to be afraid. There's bound to come some tears in your eyes. There's bound to come some trouble to your life. Reach out to Jesus, hold on tight. He's been there before, and he knows what it's like. We'll find he is there.
Lord, right now, would you speak to those in this room who need to hear from you? You say there's a conversation going on about us. There's some people this morning that need to hear from you some of the good. Would you show them some of the good you're already working out? Would you show them and speak some of the purposes of it? Spirit, would you release more comfort this morning? Bring more. You say you're right there in us, Lord. Would you be even greater in demonstrating that this morning? Lord, you say that you have good things for us. We know this because we know you're good. We stand on this promise of hope this morning. Fill us with hope. Let's just sing this simple chorus. God is so good. God is so good. God is so good. He's so That's all it is. God is so good. Some of you might need to just share this morning just the pain that you've been carrying, and the hurt, or the struggle, the suffering. I don't know what that looks like, but uh, don't do it alone. You don't have to. And if you would want some people to pray for you, we have uh, people down in the front who uh, they know suffering. They know what it's like, and they know what it's like to have God in the middle of it. We'd love to pray for you. May God bless you and keep you this week. Amen. We'll see you next week.